Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the holiday season. The Bucks are in a giving mood. That's what Bruce Arian said. Turnovers have been the problem. They have 25 this season, and they are minus 10. We'll tell you what Arians had to say about the Bucks' loss to the Saints. What he's going to do about all those turnovers. We've got another look at that pass interference penalty on Mike Evans. It was a penalty, but not the one they called. And what's up with O.J. Howard? Well, I think we know. We've got all that. And Diana Neros is going to join us from St. Louis, where the Lightning take on the Stanley Cup champion blues, all in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. As I mentioned, we'll get to Diana in just a minute. But first, let's talk a little bit about the Bucks. Had a chance to uh, hear from Bruce Arians on Monday after their 34-17 loss to New Orleans. First off, uh, some injury news. Of course, Jameis Winston, you saw, uh, had a tough time finishing that game with the, with the sprained ankle, the left sprained ankle. Uh, that he got on the play before the pick six. He will play on Sunday, it appears, at Atlanta. That's according to uh, Bucks coach Bruce Arians, who said that uh, there's a little bit of swelling on that ankle, but doesn't think it's anything that's going to actually keep him out of the game. So uh, he'll go to Atlanta and face his former head coach, his former offensive coordinator in Dirk Cutter. The Falcons are hot right now. They've won two in a row. They have the same number of wins as the Bucks, but both their wins came in the division. So they're actually... Uh, ahead of Tampa Bay, which is now back in the cellar. Falcons haven't allowed a point, or uh, sorry, a touchdown in the last two weeks, so uh, that's certainly in their favor, and that's ever since they made the move with some coaching changes, moving, uh, among others, Raheem Morris from coaching receivers to now defensive backs. And talking to Arians, he says they've simplified things over there on that side of the ball, and the, the, the team, the Falcons, are just playing a lot faster and a lot better, so uh, sometimes less is more. Um we went back and, and, I, and I watched some of the tape, and you know we've talked a lot about turnovers, right? And Jameis Winston now, with 18 interceptions, that matches his career high. He's been hit an awful lot. Uh, that was a factor in the game, of course, late in that game, especially when he got rolled up on Donovan Smith, uh, giving up another pressure. And of course, he gave up uh, a sack and a half to Cam Jordan, uh, so he's not played very well. And that's you know one of their highest-paid players on the football team at left tackle. Uh, but the 25 turnovers have just been a killer, and a lot of those have come early in games. I mean, when you consider that only the Bengals, the Giants, and the Dolphins have a worse ratio, woof, than the Tampa Bay well, Buccaneers. But, but what is the real ratio? Because we know that Jameis hasn't thrown 18 interceptions. <laughs> right, he has He's thrown 10. 10. Uh, yeah, so I, so I guess if you take away the 8, so, that, so if they're a minus 10, then they, they're really, really a, a minus 2. So that would bolt them way high up in the standings, I suppose. Unfortunately... That's not the way they keep records in the NFL. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people ask me all the time, like, they're tired of Bruce making excuses for Jameis. Why does he make all these excuses for Jameis? I think I addressed this one other time, um, but, I, but I do have a comment about it. Like, uh, I, you know, obviously we know he has Jameis's back. I mean, that was the whole reason he's here. Um, this is Jameis's team from the, from the first press conference. We don't want him looking over his shoulder, all those kinds of things. And he's doing all he can to, to pump him up and – 
and hopefully, you know, uh, have his back and get him through the season and have a good year. Well, that hasn't happened quite yet the way he wanted it to. Uh, the other part of it was that he doesn't want some of the other players not being accountable. Uh, if you're a receiver uh, and you run a bad, bad route one time, as Chris Godwin has done, as Mike Evans has done, if you don't call those guys out, then the habits slip a little bit. And, you know, maybe one guy's responsible for one interception, another guy's responsible for another interception. They all go on Jameis's record, but you never say anything. Uh, then those players can just point to Winston and say, well, we don't win because our quarterback's a turnover machine. And then that way they're they're getting a hall pass. They're, they're, they're sort of, you know, deflecting their own mistakes onto the quarterback. And so Arians doesn't want that either. But but I would say this, like, you know, it's it's undeniable that, you know, Jameis has had he's had some bad luck for sure. But but look, this is the National Football League and, and all you have is the measurement against guys in the same league, right? Every team's different. The bad teams, they're the ones that make the most mistakes. Uh they're the ones that don't block as well. So sometimes they're not they don't catch as well, although that's not been the problem. I don't think here because Godwin and, and Evans are two of the top receivers in the league. Um, but, you know, they also are – I mean, it's naive to think that, well, wait a minute, uh, like no other quarterback has a guy run a bad route. No other quarterback has a guy um, miss a block. Like they all play in the same league. So it's like apples to apples, man. If you If you have 18 interceptions and you lead the NFL, that means that, you know – you're playing in the same league as the other guys. You're you're the most turnover-prone quarterback since 2015. I, I don't care who you played for. I mean, there was a time when Peyton Manning, you know, still holds the rookie record for interceptions. But I didn't go back and look at everyone and see how many times his receivers ran the wrong routes or how bad his offensive line was. And that's just part of it, right? So, But in all fairness, he doesn't have – not every quarterback has a tight end that tries to catch the ball behind their back. <laughs> well, that's true. But not every quarterback <laughs> has a guy who who's – you know, thinks he's capable of catching a ball behind his back like that. So, I mean, credit to O.J. Howard for being so skilled that he thinks he, he can play the hidden ball trick um, and, and run up the field like, I don't have it. Do you have it? I don't have it. Um, that was the weirdest thing in the world, by the way. I, 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 have, I have seen a lot in football. I have not seen a guy, you know, mishandle a ball, put it behind his back, juggle it back there for a few times, do a Harlem Globetrotters routine, and then the guy hit him, and then the ball ended up being intercepted. That, that was just an uh, – it was so stupid. It was an unbelievable play that that would happen like that. But but it does show, you know, sort of the kind of year O.J. Howard is having. Um, you know, look, he he's ranked in the low 30s among tight ends. All right, tight ends now, not not receivers, but all tight ends. He's in his in the low 30s. Uh, for targets, which is like 25, for catches, which is like 17 or somewhere like that. I mean, like, he has had just a horrible, horrible year. And you can – and, you know, like we, we've gotten on to the coaches pretty good about, you know, why don't you get this guy more involved in the offense, especially in the pass game. Uh, he's a big weapon. You know, you don't really have a third receiver. And all that's true, except that, you know what, Howard has not played well. I mean, he just hasn't. And – OJ knows he hasn't played well. Um, I had somebody at one buck, I won't reveal who it was or what they do, but um, say that, you know, he, he's a good player. He's not as good as he thinks he is yet. Like, you have to put in the work. You know what I mean? Like, sort of, not that he's lazy, not, not that his habits are bad, but just, you know, 
you can't announce yourself as having arrived without actually putting it together and being consistent. And I talked to OJ, one of the nicest guys in the world. I think he works hard, but you know, maybe his focus has not been what it should be. And this happens in the league. Um, You know, guy has some success early on. He's expected to be good. He is good. And then, you know, maybe your habits slip a little bit or your interest is somewhere else and you get a new offense and you're maybe not in your playbook as much. I don't know. I don't know what thing has happened. I think at this point, though, he looks to me like a player who is pressing. He looks to me like a player who is fighting himself, fighting his hands, fighting everything. And he admitted he took his eye off the ball because he was looking to see where the contact was coming from. He thought he was going to get blown up. Um, And so, you know, you have to go back to, you know, the fundamentals of watching the ball into your hands, securing the ball, putting it away. And, you know, you're going to get hit anyway. I mean, if there's somebody bearing down on you, whether you you might as well hang on to the ball because you're going to take the blow. So, um, you know, that that was sort of the the, the thing with him. Um, But, you know, those mistakes do go on the quarterback's record. But there's other – you know, there's other things that also he benefits from, like, you know, a ball ricocheting off somebody's hands and going into Brett Perriman's hands for a touchdown. Are we going to take that away? You know, I mean, th- you know, there's a lot of dropped interceptions too. Um, but I went back and I looked at I looked at the plays that, that Jameis had, and he had four picks, and that's what the national media seizes on. They go, oh, my God, the guy had four more interceptions. Jesus, just, it just never stops. And they're right. It doesn't. It doesn't stop with the Bucks. It doesn't stop with Jameis Winston. It doesn't seem like he can ever get out from under this narrative. Um, but when you go back and look at it, it is true that some screwy things happened. And, you know, we mentioned, uh, you know, the play before he airmailed one that was a pick six. He couldn't step into the throw. And why? Because he was hurt. Because he probably should have come off the field. Um, you know, Cam Jordan gets a rush on him and, you know, lands across his ankle because Donovan Smith is getting beat as he was for one and a half sacks. This was not a sack. This was just a, a hit after a throw. Um, and so his next throw, he he steps into it, but, he, you know, he, he doesn't fully step into it because his ankle's killing him. And so he just airmails one that Mike Evans turns inside. He throws it outside. He He's hop along Cassidy trying to get out there and, and t- tackle the guy, so he can't. So he, he, he bring, runs it in from about 50 yards. So then you come back and, you know, they get the ball back and you probably should have come out of the game. I mean, Arians has said that now uh, on several occasions, including on Monday. They could have put Ryan Griffin in there. Hell, it was his 30th birthday. Would somebody please give this guy a garbage time snap so he can, you know, so he doesn't have to be the moonlight Graham of the NFL? I mean, Jesus, you know, just put him out there for like a kneel down or something. I don't care what it is, but. Um, but instead of playing Ryan Griffin, they stuck with Jameis. And so he takes him down there. They get a couple of penalties, whatever. Uh, they get on the goal line. And for the second time in this game, remember early in the game, they were down there uh, after the deep shot to Scotty Miller. It looked like a touchdown. But it turns out it was at the one-yard line. And so they got a first and goal at the one, and they throw an incomplete pass. And then on second down, what happens? Ryan Jensen snaps the ball. Once again, Jameis Winston is not ready for it, Okay. He's looking out to the left to Godwin. Can't imagine that he called for the ball when he's not actually looking at the center to receive it. So, again, Jensen might have heard something. Uh, It wasn't a snap count, whatever. Snaps it early. James dives on it. Okay. And then at the end of the game, after the ankle injury, they get down there again, and Jensen snaps it early again. And so, like, Mike Evans is looking, and, and he thinks it's a false start or something screwy, so he doesn't run. He doesn't go off the line of scrimmage. And then the play, the timing's all messed up. Jameis kind of just 
lofts one out there that's short and it's intercepted for his fourth pick. But but like you know, guys around him, I, and I and we saw this earlier in the season where Jameis lost the fumble where you know they snapped it off his face mask, right? Or was that at Tennessee or someplace? Um, and I just know this: if you can't get the freaking snap count in the National Football League, like if if that becomes a problem. You're not you got bigger issues than you think. Okay? Like I mean, this is professional football. And, and you're at home to boot. I know there were a lot of Saints fans. And maybe they're making a little bit of noise, but come on. I mean, you know, on the goal line twice, twice on the goal line, that's when you that's when it's too difficult for you. Um, you know, and, and Jensen has to own that. You know, he's getting five million dollars a year. Um, do your job. These are their leaders, right? Donovan Smith, Ryan Jensen, O.J. Howard. I mean, these are the guys that are getting them beat, okay? So it's not like you got to uh, – yeah, do, 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 do the rookie defensive backs, do they make some mistakes? They do. The other thing that made no sense, Steve, is, is that, you know, they talked all week, all week about Jamal Dean. Oh, Jamal Dean, he came in at 7 o'clock in the morning, and after that terrible game in Seattle, he really, really buckled down. And, oh, Jamal Dean, what an interception. He won the game for you against the Cardinals. You know, they're driving, trying to go up by at least seven points, maybe more, put the game away. He gets an interception at the eight-yard line, wasn't, hadn't even played in the game, gets put in because Hargraves, you know, is loafing and Ryan Smith screws up. And, and you rave about the guy all week, and he never sees the field on defense. You just leave him on the bench. And instead, you go to a defense you've not played all year with Mike Edwards, who's a safety, playing nickel in the slot and making mistakes all over the field, as did Sean Murphy Bunting. You know, Arians talked about that play, the touchdown to uh, Michael Thomas, where he looked like he was wide open. They ran a pick route, and that's where, you know, you'll have a bunch formation or something, and one of the receivers will try to actually get in the way of the guy you're covering um, or get, get in your way as you're trying to cover the outside guy. And they and the thing is, Aaron says he goes. We literally walked through that very thing during practice and said, "You have to come up on the guy. You if you drop back, you're going to get picked. You have to be up closer to the line of scrimmage." They ran the play. Bunting drops back. He gets picked, and and Michael Thomas is wide open. So you know what Arians is left with is look, I, I, you know we have good practices, and I, and that's another thing. He has not come in the building one day since training camp, and said we didn't practice well today. It's amazing. They have the best practices ever. Um, too bad they don't play Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday, it ain't translating, and that's, that's what Bruce says his big challenge is, is that he, he's got to get these guys to play well. But they, you know, it's just they, they beat themselves, and that's what bad teams do. And like I said, if you can't get a snap count, if you can't run the right route, if you can't, you know, play the right leverage on defense, you know, that's, that's how you're going to lose. You're going to lose every game. And so, you know, they, they're going to have to have to get a lot better before they see Atlanta. Um, they've got Atlanta twice. They've got Jacksonville still, and then they've got the Texans, the Colts at home, and then they got a game, you know, a game in Detroit, not in that order. But um, so there's winnable games on their schedule, but it sure feels like, you know, this season is sort of like you're already playing for 2020 at this point. All right, let's talk a little college football. Of course, uh, the University of South Florida Bulls lost to your Cincinnati Bearcats in a game decided by a last-second field goal 
by Cincinnati and some missed field goals. Four of them by USF? Yeah, they had a true freshman kicker. Their regular kicker was hurt. Um, he felt really bad for the kid. Um, you missed four field goals and a mm. true freshman. I mean, you know, you hope that just makes him stronger and he can build off that, but that's got to be a punch to the gut confidence-wise. But uh, that game was really one where both sides didn't want to win. <laughs> really? It, 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 was, it was a rough game to watch. Um, sure, seemed, there was a lot of penalties, a lot of – mistakes a lot of kind of here you take it no we'll give you the game no 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 you take the game no no no, you take the game uh you know usf played hard um you know there's you know there's talk of you know what's usf future in that i mean the kids were playing hard they were fighting and in the game um bearcat struggled couldn't run the ball in the first half finally started running the ball in the second half um yeah, but, yeah, last-second field goal, you kind of felt bad for USF, and especially the kicker, but the team, too. I mean, you know, they haven't given up. They're still playing hard, so kudos to them for that. It seems like Cincinnati, and you watch them more than I do, but they struggled with East Carolina, too. It seems like they played down to the level of their competition. Um, I don't know if it's – they wrong play, about that? They definitely play better at home than the road. Yeah. Um, you know, they struggled at East Carolina. They struggled at, you know, USF. Um, so they've definitely played better at home than on the road. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I think Cincinnati's a good team. I don't know if they're nine and one good. Mm. Um, and, and their quarterback got hurt too in the second series, Desmond Ritter, and he didn't look the same the, whole, the rest of the game either. So, I mean, that may have been part of the struggles here at USF, but I, look, I think they're a good team, but I'll be real interested to see how they do that. They're, they get, they host Temple, this uh, weekend, and then they're at Memphis the day after Thanksgiving, which is a, a huge game. Um, they'll probably clinch the East if they beat they'll, if they beat Temple this week. They'll clinch the Eastern Conference, so the Bearcats would be in the championship game. But that game against Memphis, I think, will be more telling for how good that team really is. Yeah, I think Memphis is really good, especially uh, well, they've been really good at home, especially. But mm-hmm. that that'll be a that'll be a good contest for sure. Uh, also in college football, um, do you see uh, Nick Saban came out and uh, spoke in tones that we haven't heard from Nick because you know he's not the not necessarily the uh, most uh, sensitive guy in the world. But uh, of course, the injury they had over the weekend uh, to their quarterback to a Tagovailoa uh, against Mississippi State uh, was tragic in many senses. Not only um, did he need hip surgery, which is was a major. Uh, major deal there and, and you know certainly could have an impact on his career moving forward uh, he's he's obviously done for the year and done at Alabama I don't think there's any plans on him coming back after this season um, but he also broke his damn nose and had a concussion on the play I mean it was they, they said it was like this guy was in a car accident I mean that that's mm-hmm. the closest thing that they could 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 uh, uh, could make it and and I'm you know, I, I'm not that, like, impressed by Saban's – I mean, when Saban wanted to talk about what kind of kid he was, and, and by all accounts he's an unbelievable kid, an unbelievable mm-hmm. person, and um, he's laid it on the line. You know, he's had uh, ankle injuries. He's gone out there and played hurt. Um, he's never complained. He, make, he makes guys better around him. He's a great teammate. And and I guess when, you know, Saban called him uh, in the hospital, he you know, Nick was feeling pretty crappy about things. And – um, and, and he said that, you know, Tua actually picked his spirits up. He called the, to cheer Tua up, and it was actually Tua that cheered Nick up. And that's all well and good. But there's one thing that I cannot get past, and I, I, and I, I kind of see what Nick was talking about. But you know what? They're playing Mississippi State, okay, who's one of the bottom feeders in the SEC. And 
I don't know this for a fact, but I think they could beat them with me at quarterback. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 having said that, it was it wasn't the third quarter or the fourth quarter. It was still the second quarter, but it was like two minutes to go in a half or so, and they're up thirty-five to seven now. You know, I would have felt better if it was earlier in the game and there's just no way of knowing that this was going to happen. And I'm mm-hmm. sure if they knew it was going to happen, he wouldn't have been in there. But 35-7, to 7, and this is the thing, like, he may have insurance of some kind that, you know, Lloyd's of London or something that might provide him with some medical insurance or something like that. But, I mean, this kid was going to be no worse than the third, probably the third pick in the draft, maybe the first overall. Who knows? Maybe somebody likes Joe Burrow or the or the defensive end from Ohio State, um, but but certainly he was in the conversation. Now, uh, maybe the New England Patriots take him at thirty-two. You know, I mean, like my my guess is he's going to fall precipitously because he's not going to be able to do anything to know whether or not he's going to come back and play football very well for for many many months. So it just seems like it seems like so unfair. And this is when we talk about paying college athletes and you know what is he. What is his jersey sales meant to the University of Alabama? What has he meant? Um, it just seems unfair. But thirty-five to seven, I'm, I I would feel really crummy if I was Nick Saban right now. Well, look, a coach is going to feel crummy any time a player gets hurt. And of course, you know, of course. here's the thing. And you know, there's questions: Should have even played the game with all the ankles, injuries, and and whatever else? Yeah. But look, you're still trying to get ready for the rest of the season, in particular the Auburn game in two weeks. And, and Nick said he wanted him to, he, you know, it was two minutes left. They had the ball. He wanted him to practice in the two-minute offense. Uh, I, I get that. I, I mean, uh, whether no, you you'd you would have pulled, well, but but isn't it's that. It's Mississippi I mean, State. It I is, mean, but it's still. You can, it's drill still the, you can drill. Listen, he, he would have a better competition in a two-minute offense against Alabama's defense in practice than he would ever get against Mississippi State. I mean, I know what he's saying there. I mean, the biggest, the, the one thing he said that resonated with, well, he's our quarterback and we're playing. What do you want me to do? Well, at 35 to 7, but yeah, he wanted him to have a two minute drill at the he end. He wanted of the a half. two minute okay. drill and he wasn't going to play the second half. I mean, I, I, look, if he's playing the game and he was healthy enough to play and you he started gotten him, hurt on, he could have gotten hurt on the first play. That's sure. The, that's you know, point. once yeah. you put him in there, he plays the half. At, you're up 35-7 or hopefully at 42-7 at that point if they would go down and score in the two-minute offense, and you pull him at that point. I don't have a problem yeah. with that. I mean, look, with any injury or whatever, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of injuries. Well, you know, if we would have just done this differently or this. I mean, you can't change the past. 35-7. to seven. I get that. I get that. But he also missed a, you know, a game or two along the way. He's trying to get ready for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I, I can't – I mean, look, you can blame Nick. I don't – you know, those decisions happen all the time. And I just – I look, if it was the third quarter and it was, you know, 35-7 and he's still in or something and you're dominating, that's different. But it was still the first half. And, and you know, it was one of those we were going to pull him out, but we got the ball back. Let's practice the two-minute drill. That's what coaches do. Yeah. And that's what football players do. Tua wanted to play. I mean, that's what they want to do. Oh, well, players always want to play. Sure. I mean, that's why he's going out there with one leg against, uh, you know, LSU. Mm-hmm. I mean, big game, you know. And, and and Alabama does have, I don't know that style points mean a lot. They don't have anybody on the schedule that's going to impress the voters, really. Well, style they points do Auburn. matter to them because they don't have the schedule. I mean, to them, yeah. it's got to be the eye so test. They're they're trying to they're trying to you know give the eye test and and they still have a legitimate chance of of getting into the college football playoff. I think they have a 
a real shot at that. In I'm curious now, if they do now because a lot of what Alabama's know. ranked fifth in the rankings is on the eye it's test because of him. Yes, yes. And, and now you don't have your court. You know, the NCAA, you know, in basketball tournament, they factor injuries in, and particularly if a player's missed a lot of the season and come back, they'll kind of you know excuse some losses earlier in the season and that. But it also right, affects right. if if a star player is hurt going into the tournament. Um, you can drop a seed or two in that regard. And I'll be curious what the college football playoff committee does with this. I don't think it helps Alabama. I really don't because he's he's the he's the show. And if I'm um, if I'm Tua, I don't think I enter the draft this year. I don't I don't necessarily see, go back I, to Alabama. I, 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 I don't go back it, to Alabama. Oh, but but you could wait another well, year to go to the draft. I mean, uh, I mean, you're not going to be at the combine. You're not going to work out. No, that's you're, true. you're probably not going to be. I mean, when you look at the quarterbacks in this draft, from Joe Burrow to Herbert to Jake Fromm, uh, you know, you've got a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft as well. You're probably not going to be taken in the first round at this point. I think there's a chance. I think it would be more likely the second, but there is, you know, there is that Bill Belichick. I'm looking for a replacement for Brady. Let me take a flyer on this kid, and if he gets healthy, mm-hmm. who knows Nick Saban better than Bill? You know, and that that's how you know, wouldn't it be just like New England to find this guy to, to succeed Brady in a few years. Yeah. Um, get him off the scrap heap with a bad bad hip. But I don't think he can sit out of I mean, whenever he's ready to play, he probably needs to be with the team and I don't know if that's gonna be in college. I wouldn't go back to college for the very reason that you're sitting in a hospital right now and not getting paid. Get hurt in the pros, at least you have a contract. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I suspect he won't. He's played his last game in Alabama. Yes, I, I would say that for sure. Football, but, but he doesn't have to enter the draft this year. He could wait another year to enter the draft. Well, yeah, but I, well, how does that help you? Other I mean, than you could paid. be healthier and and show that the hip is completely healed and maybe move up. Now, in how the, are you going to show draft? it other than other than uh, workouts and things like that? Perhaps sure. But, you know, I, I but but at that point, if you wait till next year, it would have been over. You know, we're we're still. You know the draft is in is in April, late April. Yeah. So we're still many many months from that. So let's say he doesn't play next year anywhere. Yep. Um, you're you're talking about a guy that wouldn't have been on a football field playing any football for for almost two years. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, the good thing for him is, look, you don't have to make the decision about the draft till January. But then you can pull yourself out of it, but by February, even early into March. I um, suppose. You know, yeah. so you, he's got time. And I don't know you how know, to see how the surgery goes. I don't know how long. But, well, but to yeah, see how, how the surgery goes, how the rehab's starting, how how you're responding to yeah. it. I mean, you've got time for that too. So, there's no need to make yeah. that rash well, decision right now. I, I mean, apparently, you know, technology. I mean, the, the people started yelling about Bo Jackson, but Bo Jackson had another problem. He had like necrosis or whatever of the hip, where there was a lack of blood flow, and and uh, he didn't have the kind of medical attention that that Tua had. The, in the, the way I understand it, the way I understood it, what I was hearing today was that it's, it is the Bo Jackson injury, but it was not diagnosed properly for Bo. Right. And so he was he, he taking cortisone in this with, and playing yeah. on it. And, yes, and that's yes. what, that's what ended his career where, because Tua, they know exactly what it is. They've he's already had the surgery that he's expected exactly. to recover fully from what, you know, assuming everything goes smooth and, and there's no issues, yeah. but because they they missed it in Bo's case, and he continued to play, and it made it worse essentially. Right, right, and then that was it for him. That now let me ask you this, because even before this hip injury, my man's had some problems. Well, He's had both ankles. Would would you think? Would you be? Would you be not just because of the hip? But would you be a little leery, just about how how healthy you think this guy's going to be in the NFL? Absolutely. I mean, and you have yeah. to factor that in. Look, I mean, if, if you think. 
you know, let's let's take you know Justin Herbert and and Tua or, or who whatever quarterback Joe Burrow and, and Tua. And if you're deciding which one to take, and there you have them pretty even. The injury. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's going to sway you. And if you think two is that much better than someone else, then you take the flyer and, and you know, hope for the best. But, you know, when you start, you know, if, if you think their arms and their intelligence and everything else that goes into your quarterback evaluation is about the same, and then you look at injury history as your tiebreaker, essentially, it's going to affect it. Absolutely. Yeah, and before even before the hip injury, he had been a guy that had been hurt a lot at Alabama, so mm-hmm. um, that might have might have pushed him at least below Burrow. Some of those other guys, I I don't think he was going to go below two. I think he's still going to be at least the second quarterback off the board, um, just because of of the the high level he played at and what he's done at Alabama. But we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I'm telling you, somehow Bill Belichick's going to come out like smelling like a rose. Somehow he's going to get the guy. I just know it. Um, but yeah, Nick, Nick was, uh, at least he was sensitive about it. And, uh, and, and by all accounts, this is a great kid and man, what a boy, what a, what a terrible situation when you break your nose, have a concussion and be sitting there with a hip injury and have to go to surgery. That's a tough, that's a tough, tough week. Tampa Bay lightning are nine, six and two. They're in sixth place in the Atlantic division with 20 points heading into tonight's game at St. Louis. And that's where we find Diana Neros, who joins us now. Uh, we're going to get all into the Lightning, of course, but first, Diana, congratulations are in order for you. The team left Sweden. You remained for a couple days. We're joined by your boyfriend, Stephen Mann. A little trip to the Stockholm City Library, and then what happened? Well, I went with a boyfriend. I came home with a fiancé. Um, <laughs> wow. I uh, guess I owe it all to the Lightning, because uh, as he said, <laughs> we may have been dating for six years, but we had never been to the Stockholm City Library before, so we were just <laughs> waiting for that moment. <laughs> so yeah, it was very it was, special. Yeah. It, it was so cool. I just uh, described like, okay, so this, this, this library is, is, a, is a phenomenal place in and of itself, and, and you're, you're uh, as you described, kind of a self-described book nerd, if you will, and, and uh, but how did you, you, if people can go on Twitter to follow you and see this photo, it is an amazing photo. Like my wife, everybody's commented on it. Man, how, what a great way to capture the moment. It was perfect. So here's the background. I am a huge book nerd. Like I read 180 books a year kind of book nerd. And I do a book thing on Instagram. So we were actually with a friend that I've met through this book community on Instagram who lives in Sweden who I had never met before and came to Stockholm to meet us. And Stephen had uh, seen on Reddit that Stockholm has this cool library and it's this open round multi-story hall that has three stories worth of books, just like open shelving lining this round hall. It's beautiful. So he told me, you know, they've got this beautiful library. We should go. Don't you know, I want to go with you. So wait for me to get there. And I didn't think anything of it because he likes to enable my love of books. So we're with this friend of mine who is also a reader. So going to the library made perfect sense in all of these uh, all senses. And 
then um, he asked our friend Therese, you know, hey, can you take a picture of the two of us on that balcony over there? So we go mm. over the balcony and we pose for a photo and then he gets down on one knee and says, yeah. you mean the world to me, will you marry me? And she's snapping photos of, you know, this perfect moment. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. And then I was late to the press conference because of all of this. This happened on the Saturday, the day of the second game. And I get a text from the uh, league's PR person. Hey, are you coming to lightning availability? And I was like, I'm outside. I'm coming in right now. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of excitement that I then um, made Tyler Johnson repeat a question without meaning to, but uh, it was all, it was, it was, it was a little bit of a whirlwind. Very, very special. Yeah. That would be hard to concentrate. I think after, after one of the biggest moments of your life, but you got to go on and, and see this photo and read about it on uh, uh, Diana's blog. It's uh, at Diana C Neros, N E A R H O S. And uh, I'm telling you, it's a, it's an amazing photo and a good, Good job by him too, proposing because um, that that is a uh, that, that you know you want to get it right. He nailed it, man. That was a that was a ten. That was phenomenal. He really did. And all of our uh, all of my book friends within this Instagram community have commented on how much he's raised the bar for everyone else now. So <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> he really he couldn't have done a better job of it. It was really it was really amazing. And my sister was actually in Stockholm. Um, she decided to come on this trip uh, because she found cheap flights. So I got to share it with her and um, he didn't tell her so that I could tell her it was just, it was all set up. So, wow, that's terrific. Well, congratulations. We look forward Thank to, uh, to the marriage and uh, I'm sure uh, the way it's starting, it's, uh, it's only going to be terrific for you. Okay. So the, the lightning come back home. They have just a, <laughs> an onslaught of offense against the Rangers I was at the Winnipeg game on um, Saturday, uh, and then we can get into that in a minute. But first and foremost, one of the milestones that were reached by Steven Stamkos is not to be overlooked. He gets his 400th goal in front of the home crowd. I know they weren't happy that it, it occurred in a loss, but put in perspective for me what, what that means. Uh, boy, that's an awful lot of goals. So only nine active players have reached 400 goals. Mm. And he not only is he one of nine active players, he was the second fastest of those nine active players. The only player currently in the NHL to have done it faster was Alex Ovechkin. Wow. So uh, he and Ovechkin have the two best shooters in the league. So this is not surprising that it's the two of them in a class again. But um, it is... It is some rarefied air uh, for to reach 400 goals um, and to do it. He's 29. Um, mm. We think of him as being old because he's been in the league for a long time, but he's 29. He's got years ahead of him in this league still. So this mm. was not like a towards the end of his career he reached a milestone. Like he's got more in him. This is not the culmination of anything. Um, it's mm. kind of. It's a great one, so I don't want to belittle it, but it's almost just another in the sense that you know there are more coming for Steven Stamkos. Sure, and and it was uh, it wasn't on a power play. It wasn't uh, the, the the typical one timer we're used to. But boy, it looked like a Steven Stamkos goal. Yeah, it was about as close as you can get without being entirely a Steven Stamkos trademarked. Uh, it was it was a one timer. It was with the extra skater at the end of the game after having pulled Vasilevsky. So not a power play, but an extra skater. Uh, it was at sure. the top of the circle, not the dot. So it was just mm. slightly off, but it was very close. And just, you know, 
came from Hedman, like so many of his goals have. Uh, it was it was it was a good setup, especially considering his record-setting goal last year uh, was a tip, if I remember correctly, and not the typical Stamkos right. goal. So it's kind of not that it matters, but a little fitting to see it work out that way this time. That was beautiful. The Lightning had won uh, three in a row before the the Winnipeg Jets came to town, and uh, you know that game was back and forth. Of course, it was one one, and it kind of turned um, on what was a, a failed challenge, I guess. You know, Winnipeg scores the the go ahead goal, and they challenge uh, whether it was uh, the stick was too high, um, and then it results in a power play because they don't get the challenge. That seems like a steep price to pay to me sort of uh, for for not you know not winning a challenge and just sort of you know they don't have a whole lot of time to sort of review those things just take us through sort of what john cooper and his staff were trying to decide in in challenging that play well so they were looking at a moment that was actually 18 seconds before the goal on if somebody had played a high stick and cooper said they were 100 percent sure um he said maybe you have to be 110 percent now um in addition to them adding this penalty for a failed challenge. It does seem that challenges are less, are um, failing even more this year. That I've not actually looked at numbers on that. That's a bit of a, a gut feeling I have, not a statistical analysis. But it does seem that way. Um, but I agree with you on that being a steep cost. Uh, Stamco said the same thing. And I actually said this a week ago. On one of the goals, I believe it was the second game against Buffalo in Stockholm, there was a play that might have been goalie interference against the Lightning, and the Sabres didn't challenge it, presumably because that cost is very high, and you don't want to give a hot team a power play. And I just, I can't get behind this. I understand the idea. You want to limit challenges to not slow the game down. I totally get that. However, you get a penalty for breaking a rule and getting a challenge wrong is not against the rules. Right. So I, I don't know what the answer is. So maybe I'm just part of the problem spouting off the issues without any solutions, but I don't think this is it. This isn't the answer to have a penalty that coaches. Yes. You, they should have to be confident in a challenge to make the challenge, but they shouldn't be afraid to challenge because right. they're going to be penalized. You know, there isn't a good answer. Football, you take away a timeout, and that matters. Much more than a timeout matters in the NHL. Um, sure. So I don't know what the equivalent consequence is. but And I don't just say this because the Lightning were scored against. I did say this a week ago when it was going against the Lightning. Um, it just seems too strong of a thing. It hurt the Lightning. They had many chances to come back. It didn't have to have cost them the game. Um, you know, it's not like this was the only pivotal moment. They had plenty of chances, but mm-hmm. it does become something that we're talking about in a way that I don't think it needs to be. Yeah, it just seemed, it just seemed way punitive. And it wasn't that much time that, that really elapsed while they were looking at that thing. I, I didn't think it was, you know, slowed the game down that much. But uh, but anyway, they suffered they suffered that defeat. Um, of course, they're now in St. Louis uh, tonight to play the Blues, which – are your defending Stanley Cup champions? Interesting team, to say the least, and in the season that they had uh, a year ago. This is uh, part of a two-game road trip, but then, Diana, 14 of the next 18 at home. I got to imagine that that stretch right there is where they're sort of focusing and hoping they can make up some grounds in the standings. 
It definitely is um, for the home games and for the consistent games, both, you know, they're playing almost every other day from now until Christmas. And that's the typical schedule versus the they've had, Mm -hmm. you know, a week off here, five days off there, you know, a lot of um, stop and go feeling to the season so far. So it's not just the home games. Though obviously that is a thing, they are very happy to play at home. Those four road games are also um, one-off trips, single-game trips that they're taking. It's not they don't have a any kind of sustained road trip uh, coming up in the next month um, until uh, New Year's Eve is the start of their first real road trip um, or their next real road trip. Excuse me. So yeah, this is kind of. Uh, they have played fewer games than most teams in the league right now um, at 16. So this is their chance to kind of gain some of those points in the standings just in the matter of catching up in games. You sure. know, they, uh, it's not even like their record. Yes, it's not what it was last year, but the record isn't that bad. They've just have had fewer opportunities to get points in addition to not starting off amazingly. So uh, this is definitely an opportunity for them to gain some ground there. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, uh, before we get into St. Louis, I was going to ask you, you know, one of the things that they were able to do, though, with the, with all the travel and some of the time that they had in Stockholm is practice. So did that did that help them with respect to the penalty kill, which seems to be much better late and some of the some of the things they wanted to clean up? It did. Um, only coaches ever say they want to practice, but the players <laughs> also acknowledged that it definitely helped them. It helped them. In a few ways, they actually got practice time in the literal sense, but it also kind of reset some things and reset some um, a little bit of of feeling like they were. I'm trying to say this right, almost starting to snowball, not in the sense of like total panic, but just in the sense that they started to feel like, well, that's the way things are going right now. Nothing's going our way. We're not getting breaks. Of course, you know, that's just the way things are this, right now. They are getting the bounces. You heard a lot of that um, the few games before they went to Stockholm. So by resetting, you kind of reset that mental feel of like, well, that's what it is right now. Mm-hmm. So that had made an impact. And then they spent some time on the system and got more confident in the system. And you're seeing that even in the Winnipeg loss. You know, that was not a bad, sloppy loss. They didn't capitalize on some chances, but the game was there. The process was mostly there. Not perfect, but mostly there. So you saw them kind of establish some pieces, reset their mental state, and now they're they're looking more like the team they want to look like. Do they look like last year's team? No, but last year's team bombed in the playoffs, so they're not trying to be last year's team. All right, no, that that makes total sense. And of course, if you want to help your penalty kill, don't go out there. The best way is to not take penalties, and that's what they were doing earlier uh, in the season. It seems like they're getting fewer now. So, uh, what have they done differently? And, and is it just just an awareness thing? It's awareness, and it's again kind of the confidence within the system. That sounds like an oversimplification, but. If you're confident in the system, you stay in your position, you're in the right place, you're not then reaching and then ending up with a slash or a trip or a hook. You know, all those stick penalties that are so frustrating. You know, players, it's one thing to take a roughing call because you went for a big hit or something else. It's another thing for a undisciplined, undisciplined slash. So when you're in position, 
you often set yourself up better that you're not taking those penalties. So all of those things kind of come from the same same root place and the same with now killing off the penalties they are taking. Again, it comes from just kind of having a little more confidence in their system, in their decision-making, taking the extra second to do it right rather than rushing, oh, no, I have to do this now. So all of that kind of comes from the same root of just having a little more confidence in how they're playing. Um, not just, you know, obviously they knew they were skilled and a good team, but the the how they're playing part has come around. It was an amazing uh, run by St. Louis last year. Of course, now they're defending Stanley Cup champions. So how is that different for them? And, uh, you know, obviously you have that target on your back. You have something to defend. Yeah, exactly. There's a, a target on their back. This is a team that one of three teams that beat the Lightning twice last year. Um, mm. So... There's, there's a little bit of a desire to um, get something, uh, you know, just not repeat that at least. Um, and there are high emotions here for Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon is returning to the team with which he won the Stanley Cup. He's returning home to the team with which he won the Stanley Cup. Uh, there will be some sort of ceremony before the game. Um, he will receive his ring. Uh, this this is a big moment for him. And, you know, he said, of course, you've got to enjoy that moment and then turn the page and be about the, the game. He's with the Lightning. He's committed to the Lightning. He's happy to be with the Lightning. Um, but this is still, this is going to be a big moment. Um, it's also one he gets to share with his son. His son lives here in St. Louis where Pat is from. And um, so this is a, a chance to, he gets time with his son. His son gets to share the moment of um, him celebrating the cup one last time. And um, so it'll be an interesting game, but it'll be especially interesting uh, leading into the game to have that moment for, for Pat Maroon. Uh, I mean, it's always emotional for these guys to go back and play against their former teams, but to receive a Stanley cup championship ring and share it with your son, um, that's going to be in particularly uh, emotional, I'm sure for him, um, how do, how do you, how do you handle that? I mean, it would be, it'd be difficult. I would think to concentrate after that. I think you're, you're, you know, I guess maybe once they drop the puck, you get, you go to work and you're a professional, but I would think there'd be a, a, just a whole lot to have to deal with in that weekend, that week or that day, actually. Yeah, there probably will be. Um, I think a couple things in his favor are, um, a, he's been around a while. He hasn't done this sure. before. He hasn't celebrated a cup before. But the more games you've played, the more the quicker you settle back in. You know, it won't be immediate. Exactly. There's, there's just no way. But the quicker you settle mm. back in with more games. You know, the same way we saw Hedman extremely emotional before the games in Stockholm. And he said for a couple shifts, he wasn't quite there. But then he, he got there. Yeah. So it'll be kind of yeah. similar for Maroon in a different way. Um, he also has been, you know, this isn't his first moment of celebrating the cup. That would be an entirely sure. different situation. Whereas, you know, this is kind of the most recent, maybe the last moment of celebrating that. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, so there will definitely be emotions for him, but it helps that he said that since he only played here one year, he's had a lot of practice coming home. Uh, he's been doing this for long <laughs> enough that he's kind of figured out the emotions of coming home. And again, mm -hmm. this isn't just any trip home. But so all of those things kind of help. I, I would assume that for at least a few shifts into the game, it, it'll he'll still be a little jittery, but um, I'd expect him to settle in. Uh, he's played too many games in this league to not be able to figure that out. <laughs>
And of course, it's nice to have a guy that's won a Stanley Cup because that seems to be part of the recipe to get to one and win it. So, um, but what has Maroon brought to this Lightning team so far in this early season? He brings he brings some levity to the room. Um, not that this is a, a one for one, but Dan Girardi was a guy who could crack some jokes mm-hmm. um, in this room previously, and now. Uh, Pat Maroon has a different kind of sense of humor, but he's still somebody who kind of brings some some lightness. But he also brings some. Um, he knows what it takes. He knows what it took for St. Louis, and St. Louis is a different team than the Lightning, so it's not going to be a "this is our recipe, let's follow it and we'll win." But um, as you know, we we talked to some people ar- around the league, uh, looking into the fact that it's so rare. Nobody had done it for like 25 years to win a cup without somebody who had previously won the cup. Um, And they said there's just something that somebody who has won it before brings to a room of just knowing that drive that it takes. The the grind, the playoffs really are a grind. Yeah, they're amazing and it's incredible, but it's also really hard and taxing. And so to have somebody who knows what it takes to get through that uh, is helpful. He is also on the ice brought an impact. He has a big body plays a physical game, but he also can play a skilled game. We saw that in some of the goals he scored. He's not a goal scorer. He said, uh, it's amazing to see Stamkos score 400. Cause he doesn't think going back to youth hockey, he totals 400 goals, but we <laughs> saw three goals in uh, two games. Was it uh, the past few um, this past, I guess two weeks we have to go back to get to Stockholm. But so we saw that he, you know, he is good on the puck, and part of it is because he's a big, strong body who can control the puck and um, battles well. And so all of those things that have helped that fourth line that is so strong and played so well, especially in those two games in Stockholm, but has played so well this year, um, he's a part of establishing that identity on that line. So there's there's a variety of things that Maroon is bringing to this team that range from the room to the ice. Let me ask you about another line. Uh, Steven Stamkos and Andre Palat have been playing a little bit with Carter Verhaeg. Uh, how has that gone? That had, well, so they mixed it up a little bit during the game last week, or sorry, the last game against Winnipeg. Um, Palat is somebody who is playing. Um, you see a big difference between last year and this year. He changed up his offseason routine a little bit, and he just seems so much stronger this year. He dealt with some injuries last year, but so he is complimenting Stamkos uh, very well. And Verhage being on that line is kind of a return of him to a skilled line. He was the leading scorer in the AHL last year because he's a skilled player. He's not going to be a fourth line, even a third line. Um, you know, that's not what the role he's played in the past. So putting him with Stamkos and Palat is a return to a, a skilled position for him and something that he's more familiar with in the way he has played before. So it's it's a comfortable spot for him, or at least as comfortable as any rookie can be playing with Steven Stamkos. Yeah, I mean, it, actually, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Uh, so you have Verhage, but now there's another player that's a veteran that we haven't seen much lately. He's been a scratch a lot, and that's Braden Colburn. Uh, is he hurt or just falling down on the depth chart at this point? Um, it sounds like he's falling down on the depth chart at this point. I asked Cooper if this were an injury, if it were a performance issue, and he said they have eight defensemen for six spots, and this is just what it is right now. And so, um, 
I get, you know, Luke Shen came up when Victor Hedman got hurt and right. got a look with the team, starting with those uh, last couple games before the Sweden trip. And the Lightning like what he's bringing right now. And so he's he's in the lineup and Coburn isn't. Um, Cooper said he didn't expect to have a rotation the way they did last year, rotating defensemen. So um, I guess this is what it is going to be for a little bit. We'll see um, at what point they decide to mix it up again or if if uh, how they're going to handle this situation at this point. Diana, you wrote a story in the Tampa Bay Times on Eric Chernak. Uh, I encourage people to go to tampabay.com and read that. You know, he came up last year for what could have been uh, a week, uh, certainly not a lot more than that, and stayed the whole season. And uh, now he comes to camp. He's certainly got all those games underneath his belt. Uh, where has he really improved? It seems like he's gotten better everywhere, but also who's been maybe one of the bigger influences for him on this team? Well, playing with McDonough has really helped him. He was, he was skilled. He was good. Um, no matter what, but playing with McDonough, who is a player who is, he plays a very smart game. McDonough does. So he's a good person for a young defenseman to learn from and you just observe how he finds his spots you know how he plays and you can see the influence on Chernak um you know particularly the way Chernak is jumping up on offense more uh McDonough is not an offensive defenseman neither is Chernak but McDonough knows where to find those spots and that's something that Chernak is doing more of that comes from confidence not just having seen somebody else do it but he said um he felt comfortable by the end of last year, Turnack did. And then he got here at the start of this year and realized he felt even better. He didn't expect he could. He thought he had reached the comfort level of the NHL, but to come back after a off season of knowing he had proved himself in this league just gave him another level. And you're seeing that confidence and just kind of some of his decision-making and um, on the offensive side, as I mentioned, and also with shot blocking, you know, those are also moments where you kind of have to commit to it and, uh, there's a bit of a risk factor of, you know, if you go down to block a shot, are you going to be able to get up in time? And so you might see somebody, a rookie, not take those chances as often. And so you're just seeing it in the kind of some of those smaller moments that he looks overall a little stronger. And it's the confidence that comes across in um, some of that decision making that, you know, he proved himself last year. He came up. He was supposed to just be here for a short bit while Anton Strawman recovered, and then Strawman's injury dragged along, and then Chernak proved that uh, he belonged in this league. And the Lightning, um, as Cooper said, it was impossible to take him out of the lineup at that point, and he's continued to be that person this year. I mean, to play with McDonough against other teams' top lines for such a young defenseman who you know, has only now been in the league for a full um calendar year was uh last week you know that those are some tough assignments that he plays um with relative ease yeah and Chernak looked like he's going to have a long career in the NHL and who knows maybe become a star uh with the Lightning as well the Lightning play at St. Louis tonight against the Blues then it's on to Chicago against the Blackhawks on Thursday and you can read Diana Neros in the Tampa Bay Times on tampabay.com the newly engaged Diana Neros. Congratulations again, Diana. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Always great to catch up uh, with Diana. Chris Torello, the lovely, the talented uh, sportscaster from Spectrum Sports Bay News 9360, whatever they call that, 
has a lot of numbers to it. I know that. Uh, he's going to join us tomorrow. And then we got, of course, Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times to talk some college football on Thursday. And we will get you ready with Eduardo Encino, my buddy cop, uh, for Bucks at Atlanta as they try to uh, navigate these final six games of the regular season. We appreciate you guys joining us. We're here every Monday through Friday. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 